Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You can call me J-Bay. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. Today, we're talking to Robert Yuan. He is founder at a company called Monograph, and we're talking about the four-day work week in sales. Let's get to it. So one thing that's happened to me a couple times over the last you know couple of years, a large part of it being, you know, my fear around COVID and our, our business is just working too much and burning myself out. And there's a couple of periods where, you know, I almost had an anxiety attack and you know, it just felt like the amount of work that I had to do was just just a mountain of work that I could not a hole that I could not climb out of. You know, it, I didn't really see an end in sight, especially when COVID went down. So I've just started thinking a lot more about my mental health. And one of the things that I've wanted to do for a while is a four-day work week. And I've been apprehensive to talk about it publicly because, well, let's get into it. I mean, we just started doing this in this last October. Our, our entire company has moved to a four-day work week. When I say entire company, it's, you know, it's me and a couple other people. But... The thing that I was apprehensive to do, what I thought it was, was fear of judgment. So will my clients think I'm lazy? Will they not want to work with someone like me? Will my peers, who all of my friends in the business just bust their ass, you know, they work so hard, will will they think that I'm lazy? Will I not have their respect? And I thought about it for a long time. And what I think actually my biggest fear was is that if I don't work on Fridays, I'm not going to be as burnt out over the weekend. I'm going to have three days out of the week where I'm not working. And the reason why that kind of scares me is I think about what my identity is outside of what I do for work, because that's what I've spent most of my life doing. I was just talking to my wife, Sarah, about this last night. And what I've spent most of my life, my adult life since I was 18 years old is just grinding whether that was my first sales job, starting multiple businesses, most of which have failed except for blissful prospecting, <laughs> you know, knock on wood. But since 2008, I've just been grinding. Up until this point, I've really only been able to not overexert myself at this point. And maybe I could have done it sooner, but this is the first time really in the last you know, three or four months that I've been able to do that. So it's really made me think about what my identity is outside of what I do for work. Yeah, and that was kind of scary for me at first. Who am I outside of a sales coach, a trainer, someone that you know likes helping salespeople, an entrepreneur, a marketer? Who am I outside of that? And I'm still working on that. But I've been able to enjoy more things outside of that, actually making friends outside of what I do for work that are not in sales. You know, I picked up snowboarding as a, a hobby that I'm really into right now. And the reason why I got Robert on the podcast today is that he started Monograph with the intention of being a four-day work week for the entire company, including the sales team. And I don't know, actually, if a four-day work week is, is good for everyone to do in sales. I have no clue. I, I don't know enough about the data. I'm not running a company where I have a big sales team. I, I don't know. But Robert is. And one of the things that we talk about, I think that's pretty interesting, is we talked a lot about his philosophies around work. And how when you allow people to step away from work, it allows for them to be more creative. He wants 
people to have side projects. He wants people to take care of their mental health. And he's very big on output. So his team, even though they are working a four-day work week, he still expects them to get really big results. They still want to grow a big company. So he's not looking at accomplishing less from an output standpoint. He's looking at what is the optimal way to get that result in a way that's sustainable. So we're going to talk about how he encourages collaboration in a team environment where people help each other. He talks about this concept of optimizing for key business decisions. What are the actual things that you need to optimize and double down on? We talk about productivity, talk about a lot of that different stuff, how the team structures their week. And I'll leave this a bit of a mystery, which day of the week that they take off. It's not Fridays like I do. So let me know what you think. If we're connected on LinkedIn, send me a message. Let me know what you think of this episode. I'm, I'm really curious to see what will happen in the, just in the sales industry, you know, around this four day work week. And if more companies adopt it, I'm just, I'm really, really curious. So hope you enjoyed the episode today. One quick favor I have before we dig in is if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, I'd love if you rate the podcast real quick. It's pretty easy to do when you got the Spotify app open. If you just open up the podcast page, Blissful Prospecting, and there should be a star that pops right at the top. Leave an honest you know, rating on there. I'd really appreciate it. It helps get more people like you to see the show and to listen to it. So let's get to the interview. So I'm kind of curious, just because you have so much different experience, like researching you on LinkedIn. Um, when do you think of like productivity or you know, kind of mental health and like all of those things and how they kind of come together? Um, was that sort of the impetus of the four-day work week that you guys are doing now has this always been something you've thought of did something maybe happen <laughs> you know prior where it's like oh god i'm so burnt out like we need to change things was like where did the whole idea even come from how did you think of it I, so like i don't know i don't know if it's fair to say that there was one leading indicator that mm-hmm. made us go down uh towards building a business around a four-day work culture um, it was a combination of a whole bunch of different scenarios, personal experiences, situations at the time, uh, philosophies and how we approach work in general. It's a combination of a whole bunch of things colliding together to make us make that decision. So I, I just want to make sure that we have a conversation that it's never, it's never just one thing, right? Like it's always like, you know, the perfect storm. Yeah. I think like, what are some- like well, like a really good example past career, I was an architect. Uh, amazing. I, ha- I had an opportunity to work on like amazing buildings around the world, from like amazing tall skyscrapers in Dubai, China, Canada, United States. I've done high-end residential for amazingly wealthy individuals, uh, extraordinarily fun projects. That said, like there wasn't much of a work-life balance in, in a traditional architectural practice. Um, I think there was a period of time when I was averaging 80 hours a week, every week for about like three quarters of the year. Um, So like, and that was okay. Like I, you know, there was a period of my life where like, this is what I signed up for and I loved it. Um, At the same time, I knew it was unsustainable. There, There was, there was no way I could do it more than a year. Like that's just like my, my body would cave. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Um, I think when we started the agency prior to Monograph, there was a lot 
there was a lot of emphasis put around like how do we make sure that we continue to be creative how do we carve out space for side projects experimental projects uh things that are not like work that are you know required on a day in day out type of scenario but making sure we treat it with the the time that it requires right like if you don't carve out time for things naturally speaking hu human instincts you just don't do it uh, yeah. really good example is like working out if you don't make time to work out you will not work out uh you have to like mentally commit to like putting time aside specifically for very specific reasons or it just won't occur um by the time we started monograph a lot of that kind of coincided and there was a big emphasis on protecting mental health. There was a big emphasis on like understanding what is the long-term results we want to drive, right? You know, I think a lot of other companies get caught in productivity measured on a week by week cadence and don't, and sometimes lose sight in terms of like, well, what, where's the end goal, right? If the end goal is to build an amazing business where everyone is extraordinarily happy the collaborative culture is extraordinarily high. People stay on for a very long time and retention is at like an all time high. If that is the end goal, do that, right? There's nothing around like a 60, 80 hour work week that will lead you to those type of results. It just doesn't. So why do it, right? Like it just like, yeah. so I think it's really important um, when we were building the, the, early, the early team, and even now to understand like, yes, we're making day-to-day -day decisions. Yes, we're making week-to-week, -week, quarter core decisions, but let's never lose sight on what is the grander vision and mission. And they do need to like align. Um, when they don't align, that just means we have to continue to work on a more appropriate strategy. That does. Yeah, there's so many different angles that we could take that, but you mentioned end goal. Yeah, because the excuse that I hear a lot, especially with sales, is we're a startup. We got funding. We have investors. We got deadlines and growth goals that we need to meet. Yeah, you're a company that has investors. You just raised our, our Series B round. I think if I yes. did my research correctly. So how do you think about from an executive level? Hey, we have maybe or maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't even look at it like there's pressure. You know, for you, how do you think about that? That there's probably some growth goals that are maybe. Mm -hmm. A bit more aggressive than they maybe normally would be because you have people investing in the business and balancing that out with you know we don't always need to be sprinting all of the time you know how do we make this sustainable how do you personally mm. think about that with you and your team around dealing with the pressure so i think it helps when everyone thinks in, in regards to output right like we're, we're going to have a conversation about productivity well productivity can be thought of as inputs and outputs mm -hmm. Right. So there, there's a, there's an argument to be made that like, you need a certain amount of input for a certain amount of output. And I think this is where this conversation is going. We're like, you, we have extreme pressure and our goals are nowhere less, you know, smaller than our competitive startups. Our goals are mm -hmm. equally as massive, if not larger. So like, there's a lot of work to be done. What I ask the team is like, to think of like, how do we achieve those goals smarter? Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think it actually is going to be extraordinarily hard to accomplish massive goals while holding a four day work week. Do I think it's impossible? No. 
it is totally possible. It's just going to require enormous amount of collaboration, enormous amount of focus, and everyone to understand that things that move the needle, generally speaking, could be one single decision. One decision, massive decision made by one individual once a year can move fundamentally the needle for that entire team, that entire department, and for an entire business. I think of it exactly the same in terms of how I do my job, right? Like every year I get, I think I get at most one to three decisions that fundamentally move the business in a rapid growth scenario. Everything else is kind of like in the weeds and like, you're going to forget about it as soon as you make those decisions. Yeah. So optimizing for those decisions are key business decisions should be a philosophy that the entire company embodies. So this is, this is amazing, right? Like if you think of it this way, like even down to our, our sales development rep, down to our account executive rep, yes, you do have to take meetings as part of the job in terms of how we sell. But should we question, are we taking the right meetings? Should we question, is this meeting the most effective meeting? Is this lead the best lead? How do we know that? Do we know that? Do we know it with confidence? These are really, really good questions to continue to focus on efficiency so that we can continue to like crush it on a 40 work week and, and be no, and no one will even know in terms of output that we're yeah. equally, if not even better than all of our competitors. I think that's such a key part because you know, I, the reason why we're talking is because I posted something on LinkedIn saying that I. I moved personally to a four day work week and then Kyle, you know, sort of introduced us and my goal is not to accomplish less by doing that. And I'm hearing no. the same thing from you. It's, it's not if, to accomplish less. It's if anything, how can we it's accomplished more. Um, yeah. I like the bet is like, if I get, you, you have to over index on those decision-making opportunities. And you also have yeah. to understand those massive decisions. When you reflect back on the year, you know, that there were like, a few key decisions that you made that really moved the needle. For most executives, that could have been like a key hire. That could have been a, a really strategic pivot in terms of a motion that you're trying to accomplish. That could have been like one massive um, channel move that like really ultimately changed the entire game for the rest of the year. These, those are the decisions that you remember, you know, on December 31st and you're doing like a reflection on the past 12 months I also have to understand, and I, I'm very confident most of the time, those decisions do not happen in front of a laptop. It doesn't. Almost 99% of those decisions are made on a walk, at a park, right? Reading a book, on the couch, having dinner, uh, in the shower, at the gym, right? Like those crazy synthesized decisions really don't come and bear fruit until you actually find time to step away so you can really focus. That's when the mind is at its sharpest. So all I'm really trying to do here, if you look at a very simplistic level, is over-indexing and optimizing for those moments and setting aside time for those moments to occur more often. Yeah. There's a, I don't know if you've seen Jeff Bezos talk about this, but he, a very similar kind of thing, because people were asking him, you know, how much do you sleep? And he sleeps like eight or nine or 10 hours a day yeah. or something like that. He's like, said something very similar to what you said. I only 
have to make really two or three when he was in, in a more active role, really important decisions. And I needed to be at my very best. It kind of reminds me of, I just started snowboarding actually. And uh, so it was my fourth time going this last Sunday. And the first two times down the actual mountain, cause I'm beyond the bunny slope stage went really well. But the mm. last time my legs were really tired. I fell really hard two or three times because I was just fatigued, you yeah. know? And I think that we do that a lot, especially in sales. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what do you say optimize for key business decisions? What are some of those things? You gave a couple of examples, but what are some of the things you've thought about from a sales leadership, just from the executive level that are very big and strategic types of things? What are some of the decisions that you feel like, hey, we need to optimize for these things? What are some of those big hmm. you know, kind of things that you're thinking about from a sales lens, from an executive level? So like, I think some of the big things in regards to sales is like, making sure that we assign dedicated time for focus. I'm a huge component of like, you, if you want to do really well in something, you actually have to do a lot less. Hyper-focus equates to like amazing results. Um, when you try to do everything, it just doesn't work. Our brains don't, yeah. don't work that way. So like if you, if you carry out that philosophy, uh, if your sales team have an inbound outbound motion, my big question is like, well, why does a rep have to do both? Generally speaking, those types of sales conversations are extraordinarily di different. An inbound sales conversation comes in like extraordinarily hot, right? Like the customer has shown amazing interest in the product. Uh, they have put their foot out and signed up and they're an inbound opportunity. When you start going outbound, that opportunity is, it's cold. You, get, you have to put your foot in their perspective. Like you call someone that have never heard of you, no idea who you are. They hate spam phone calls, but for some reason on that day, they picked up and they're having a two minute conversation with you. That conversation is, it's, it's a very different sales motion. Why would you ask a sales rep to do both throughout the day, back to yeah. back to back to back? Do you know, like it's extraordinarily hard to contact switch. It's hard for me. I got to run an entire business across sales, product, engineering, marketing, and success in engineering. Like it's context switching is difficult. If you don't have to do it, don't do it. If you're a sales leader and you're designing your sales org, I will question like how many, how many different tasks are extraordinarily counterproductive because you're asking the team to do both. Yeah. Yeah, specialization, I think, is so yeah. big. There's a, there's a company, I won't mention the specific name of the company. I don't know if they want me talking about it or not. But they, uh, they do outsourced SDR stuff. And one of the things I thought that was really interesting with their SDR team is they've even broken that role down into prospecting time on the outbound side versus list building. And they'll yeah. have virtual assistants, which is much more economical, too. There are people you can pay 5 to 10 bucks an hour in India or Philippines where that's a good wage for them. And you can have them do the list building and finding the contact information, all that mm -hmm. other stuff for your SDRs to really only focus on writing the email, making the phone call, you know, and not doing all this research. The thing that I'm hearing from you is you think, of, it sounds like you think a lot about energy. Like mm. what does the energy suck and how can I maximize energy, which I think is the most overlooked part of productivity. People talk about how to optimize time and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. But what about how to optimize your energy and not yeah. doing tasks that deplete 
your energy? Is that kind of what you're thinking strategically? Strategically, you can, we can sum it up that way, right? Like I think things that essentially are polar opposites generally suck your energy, right? Yeah. Like, so like, then the real question is, well, what do you want to do? Right? Like if there's two polar competing opposite tasks and you're asked to do both, naturally speaking, you're going to gravitate to one. Mm -hmm. If you're at the individual level, that's the one you focus on and you drop the other. From a sales leader perspective, you have to look at your team's performance, broadly speaking and individually speaking, and understand how to essentially like help them optimize what they're really, really good at and where they want to, where they, where you know that they can excel and deprioritize areas that you know that they are weak in. Mm -hmm. If that means specialized departments or roles, then that's what it takes because like we need to all, it doesn't mean the job doesn't get done, right? Like you, you know, if we're talking about sales, that's you still, someone needs to do prospecting, but you gotta have like, we have a fundamental belief that like, if you don't want to do fun prospecting, you're probably not going to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, right. Like, I, and this is, yeah. I, I come from an architectural background. I have no sales background. Things, things that I make decisions on are very intuition. And I try to keep things yeah. very simple. If you don't want to do something, you're probably more than likely never going to be good at it. Yeah. So, but like from a business perspective, someone needs to do it. So let's, let's not make specialization a taboo. It's a great thing. Um, yeah. And actually I strongly advocate for the team to kind of like move around specialization teams within Monograph. This way you still get exposure, but while you're in there, that's your focus. Yeah. Right. Like if you're in the prospecting team, then you're, you're, you're on a personal growth directory of being the best prospector at that moment in time in your life. As mm -hmm. soon as you move into an SDR, then that then you're trying to do an SDR role at some point. And for us, we even look at SDRs as like, well, why, why do we have SDR as a blanket title? Because the inbound SDR and outbound SDR also have fundamentally different responsibilities. Yeah. Right. We have to also look at motions to drive like, well, where do we want to really understand efficiencies so we can protect the culture that, that we all really care about, every one of us here at Monograph. To protect that culture, we have to just make sure that we kill it, uh, each and every one of us in our roles within the business. Yeah. Inbound, outbound SDRs, we split it. Prospecting, we split it. Um, inbound, outbound AEs, we split it. Um, this way, we, like you just drive extraordinarily amount of focus. Um, and like you just like your job a lot better. Yeah. No, I love that. The task switching, reducing decision fatigue, you said dedicated focus time. Yep. So do you have anything company-wide or sales org-wide around how people communicate with each other or dedicated times where, so let me give you an example, where, hey, all of our reps prospect from, or the ones that are prospecting prospect from this time to this time, and they, the people in the company know not to hit them up on Slack, you know, while mm. they're doing that or to hit them with, is there anything like that that you have set up around this dedicated focus time or anything that you suggest to people to reduce mm. distractions that will just sap up their energy? Yeah. Like, so that there's a lot of, we have a lot of different contract contracting conflicts over these decisions. Like, I'm also a strong believer that I don't want the entire company to have dedicated time to not ping someone. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't help, especially in a fully distributed, fully remote company. Like if you have a topic that's top of mind, I'd rather you ping someone now than forget it. Yeah. Right. Because we're not, in, you know, we're distributed. We can't just run up to someone and rub their shoulders later uh, to kind of like have that conversation. So like, no, we don't have like protective time through Slack and through communication. Like you should, you should let whoever you need to let know as soon as you let, need to let them know. We're all adults. We're not, we're not kids here. Like if you need heads down moment, turn off your notification, close Slack and do what you got to do. Nothing yeah. is an emergency. And if it is, you'll get a phone call. Um, yeah. If not, it can wait. So we want to make sure we design systems that are not only protective of those like heads down moment times, but also advantageous to like when you do need something and it's like top of mind that you're not frowned upon for getting that message out. Yeah. I love that. Even something really simple like that, where if you need to prospect for an hour undistracted, you turn your notifications off and if it's an emergency, you'll get a phone call. I see too much sales leaders, especially the managers with yeah. folks where they're just pestering their reps for non-urgent things. And the rep feels like they have to respond because it's their boss. And you know, you do that all throughout the entire day. And you have, you don't have a single hour during that day where you could just get some deep work done. Even if that's just picking up the phone and just really hammering out the phone calls. Yeah, It's just like you multiply that across however many reps you have. There's just all of this just wasted time. Yeah. You know, that accumulate throughout a day or a week. This is why culture is really, really important. Well, like you just got, you have to have, and you have to continue to focus on building an amazing culture that advocates for, for trust, that advocates for, for the belief that like the team's going to do what the team needs to do for the benefit of the company and for the benefit of the individual and to the department. Yeah. When that trust is there, you don't micromanage. Yeah. Right. Cause like a manager should have enough confidence to be like, yes, I need to get this message out to you, but also have a really clear understanding. It's not a hair on fire problem. I do yeah. need to hear back from you, but like, if you're in the middle of a call, I don't want to disrupt that. We should, you should be closing deals. If, if you're in the middle of heads down, trying to like complete your list for prospecting, do that first, finish it first. But don't forget that like, yes, I did message you and I hope to get a response in a reasonable amount of time, typically like within a day. But if you think of it that way, there's plenty of opportunities within a day to get back to someone. Yeah. No, I love that. Let's talk a little more kind of tangibly around the four day week. How do you have it structured? And Wednesdays. specifically, if we could focus on the sales team, especially like, so it's, yeah, the Wednesdays are kind of the, the middle day off, but can you just, why did you choose Wednesday? What, what happened between when you started? Why did you pick that day? And what's kind of the structure and expectation around the, the work days and, and that sort of thing? So like when we first started, we tried Friday. I think it's such a natural day to pick. Everyone was like, okay, got to be Friday. We're going to do our three-day weekend. It's going to be awesome. Um, and it was for a period of time. I, I think what we realized very quickly, though, was like Mondays were difficult. <laughs> like, like a three-day gap is is really enjoyable, but sometimes too long. And you don't come back with the same type of like um, awareness of where you left off. Yep. Coupled with like, you know, we're, we're in the United States. There's a lot of three days weekends. We've got Labor Day. We've got July 4th. Like there's so many. Um, Martin Luther King Day. Like 
there's plenty of three-day opportunities to take like long weekend breaks uh, and do a little bit of travel. It's a little bit too much when it's every week. Uh, so from there, we experimented then where we landed is Wednesdays. We call it now the mid-weekend. Um, and it's a, it's a great cadence because on a normal week, it's like two on, one off, two on again. And mm -hmm. it's structured in a way where like it's 100% focused while you're up the first two days and it's back to back so you get enough like time to really like see through projects take a mental break uh reflect on what happened on monday and tuesday and then come back and crush it thursday friday yeah. and then naturally speaking we still have all of our ptos we, we still celebrate all of our all of the you you know the holidays throughout the year so there's plenty of like three-day weekends where that week becomes short because we still honor the the wednesday so is there a certain expectation around the number of hours that someone works or is there a typical no. amount of hours a day someone might work or throughout the week? Remember earlier, like I really focus on output. Um, yeah. I love, I love the quota structure for sales in particular. It's very easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Number to hit. Let's hit that number. Uh, it's designed reasonably so that you can hit it. Um, so we have a culture where everyone, you know, everyone does. Um, to a reasonable percentage hits their quota, but that's if anything, sales is a lot easier to understand, like how's the team's doing, right? Yeah. And we can readjust and re-examine quota structures um, as a way to measure productivity output, mm -hmm. right? Like care about output. If it takes, and then it's the manager's responsibility and a departmental responsibility to maximize and continue to work on efficiencies and sales enablement. Or like if it takes one rep to do the exact same amount of output in half the amount of hours as a sales manager or sales leader, you should know that like, okay, there's a lot to learn from that individual or that set of individuals where the rest of the company does is not at the same level. We just mean that all it tells me is we need better training and we need to normalize the effectiveness across the board. Yeah. Okay, I do want to double click on that, but I want to sure the hours thing. The reason I ask you that is because so many people that's where they focus, and I'm 100 percent on the activity same base. Output, because yeah. um, what a lot of people will say is, "Oh, we have a normal expectation that a rep is working standard business hours, eight to five, yeah. you know, Monday through Friday." Do do your reps? Do you have any kind of sense of just roughly how many hours they work per week? I'm I'm curious if they're working less and in accomplishing the same. Which, which would be really yeah. interesting, but do you have it kind of just a barometer? Because I know people are going to want to know that. My personal barometer is like, I think, you know, on a 40 work week, if you do full days, that's 32 hours yeah. uh, relative compared to the rest of the industry at a 40 hour work week. Mm -hmm. I think on a 32 hour work week, I think on average, most of our reps work a little bit more. Yeah. They're, they're probably hovering somewhere around 36, 38, not quite 40. Yeah but not quite 32. Yeah. They're taking that one more, that one meeting on that Wednesday off. They're spending a little bit of time of catching up on that Wednesday. Um, sometimes they might do a full day if they need to, and sometimes they might take the full day off. What's great yeah. about the, the way we structure the four-day work week is that it's a personal choice. We all have accountability in this, in like, to ourselves, to our team members, to the company. 
there are certain times when like you've got to like there's no there's nothing else we can do we got to put in like a few extra hours like you just gotta get it to the finish line and there are other times when like yeah there's there's some flexibility and like i'm gonna spend spend my day off at the park with family um yeah and then there are a lot of situations where like i'm gonna put in a little half a day because like there's some things i want to do um and this is where like the four day becomes extraordinarily empowering because it's personal choice and we're building a culture where everyone spends their time off leveling up um for a sales rep a lot of times what leveling up means is you're reading a sales book you're you're trying to become a sales manager and you're learning like what does that mean uh you're reviewing your own calls and you actually have time to sit down and like go through your own gong videos and gong recordings, zoom recordings and you're trying to dissect what went well and what didn't go well and like if you if you love sales that's not work that's like yeah it's just like it's just what i want to do like i like it's what i want to spend my time actually doing um so then the question is do i count those hours i don't know right like i I think in this sense in a more conservative way sure i'll count it so like well then no we don't do a 32-hour week they're doing a little bit more um I think there's a, there's a, we can have a long long debate into the evening of like those those hours actually count as hours worked when you actually just want to do it yourself and there's no there's no external pressure to do it from from the rest of the company. Yeah, see, I I experienced something very similar when I moved to a four day work week. This is in this last October, where you feel you come back into the week feeling really energized and I don't feel depleted at the end of the week. I think what a lot of people do on Friday, if they take the weekend off and aren't like checked into an email and stuff like that is they do the equivalent of running the car out of gas to the point where they have to pull it off on the side of the road and they have to go get gas to start the week up. (laughs) You know, they got to go walk and get their gas and put it into the car and go through that whole process versus, Hey, don't deplete the tank entirely at the end of the week. Like leave, um, I don't, a big thing for me is I feel like I have a, a personal life now where I feel mm-hmm. like I have the energy for it. I don't even have kids yet. You know what I mean? That's the part I've been thinking about a lot. I have a wife and a, and a dog. I couldn't imagine being completely depleted of energy where I had just, I have to be a zombie with my, yeah. with my wife and kids. You know, there's, there's so much more to life than work and I love what I do. But to your point, it's like, I, I don't want it to f- feel like a lot of work though i don't want it to feel like i don't have the energy the mental energy for it you know yeah so so there's like some great like topics around like would you feel depleted if you if you liked everything you do or do you feel depleted because you're doing a lot of things you don't want to do yeah i mean i think that for me personally i can speak to that most of, I mean, the luxury you have as a business owner is that you can hire people, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I've delegated most of that stuff. I think doing stuff that you like, there is a limit at some point, you know, with that. Of course. Where, especially it's if you're- It's never 100%. It's on, exactly. So I feel like for for me right now, so I do the Monday through Thursday thing, and, and I put in about a 10-hour day, usually, of work, of, mm-hmm. of work that day. So it's about 11 hours, one hour break in the middle. And I feel like, yeah, I'm good with work, you know, for this week, you know, by the, awesome. by the end of that. Um, that's for me though, personally, I'm, I'm not, I'm training people on outbound. I'm doing a bit of it, but I, I also do a lot of other stuff. So if I was an SDR, I don't know how I would feel doing yeah. that. 
you know, nine hours a day of dialing and sending emails and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, do you think about productivity? Like, do you train your team on product? Because I feel like a really big piece of this is that people just need to know how to be productive as well and know how to get more done with less. Do you train yep. around that? Is that something that you teach people about? Just basic kind of productivity principles, anything like that? Uh, for me, I, I like, I look at things as like a mindset, right? Like, okay. I go to the teams, like, look, there, there's, there's a lot of schools of thoughts and I'm not saying any of them are wrong, mm-hmm. but I think all of them are only in service to a, to a goal. The goal for the sales team, very easy. It's a very easy goal. We crush numbers and we produce revenue. It's really simple, yeah. right? Across the entire team, SDRs, inbound, outbound, the entire team, sales org, our goal is to make money, bring in the cheddar. Yeah. Right. So like, that's the only thing that matters and we should be reverse engineering. Like does, does what we do, is it in service to bring in the cheddar? Right. So then, and a lot of times, a lot of, there's a lot of schools of thoughts around activities in terms of a way to measure productivity. You need X number of calls that will net this many of opportunities, this many of leads that will then net this many opportunities that will then net this many deals close one. My, and I actually don't fundamentally disagree with that. I think there's a, there's a very formulaic uh, formula for running a sales org that way. I think what happens is you, you start to like design a formula and you stick to the formula. That's where I think things break historically. It's like, remember, the goal is to produce revenue. Now that we have a baseline, instead of just sticking to that formula, the only objective now is to optimize, is to constantly question each one of those numbers. Well, why, why is our conversion ratio at like 15%? Because like, you know, if it was 25%, well, one, I can do less work and we still net out the same. We still yeah. end the same goal in terms of hitting, hitting our stretch marks. Well, why, why isn't conversion rates 80%, 70%, 60%? Well, why aren't we like doing things to kind of like work on it? What do we have to do to work on that? How do we like, th- these are the questions and I don't have all the answers, but the each member of the sales team should be thinking about it as they're going through their day-to-day activities, understanding that what they're doing is only in service to the larger goal. And they, they, everyone has opportunities to optimize where they fit into that process. Yeah. It sounds like also you've spent a lot of effort thinking about how to make sure that everyone does feel connected to that goal. It and only works quota. if, if everyone's like, if there's a transparent culture, if everyone's keyed in, there's no ego, right? Like, and like it, even though the structural organization of a, of a department is hierarchical, right? Like this, generally speaking, it's very difficult to run a flat organization. That said, if you don't, if you run the organization with no ego, we're just human beings. Yeah. Right. And like making sure that the alignment to goals and what the goals are is fundamental like if we get that wrong none of this works just it just it won't work because like as an individual you don't know where you slot in and you don't know how to contribute if those if that's the case the system is broken 
Yeah. No, hundred percent. I, I love the focus on optimization too. I'm really right. big on outbound with that too, it, because the answer with outbound oftentimes is more volume. And I'm like, eh, you not, can't just not keep really more. Like I, I would highly debate, like, is it more volume or is it just a more well-defined ICP? Well, I think ICP, your message, the soft skills, like yeah. how someone communicates. I mean, there's just so much to how they handle objections. It's so, so a lot of that. Things, you know? There's a lot of little things. A lot of that's like, it takes longer time to refine, right? Like refining a personal technique, a selling style to be more appropriate takes time because it's, it's a muscle. Yeah. And it's like, if you're changing that muscle, it's just, I'm not saying it's impossible. It just takes longer. What takes really, really quick action is actually just being more ruthlessly thorough of what is your ICP and be very dogmatic of like, how do you tier that ICP? What is your most ideal customer profile? Second most ideal profile, so tier twos. Tier threes where you can still sell, but you know those sales cycles are longer. And you should definitely yeah. have tier fours where like you just don't touch. Because like, you know, the success rate is like single digit percentages. If we, if we become extraordinarily like focused on like, what is that ICP? And we're only talking as much as we can with tier ones and tier twos, the output will reflect on that. And it's not, it's not about just filling more at the top of funnel, right? Like it's about filling the top of funnel with the right stuff. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, volume is one side of the equation, yeah. you know? Volume times quality. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into that quality piece. But um, how do you think about technology when it comes to your sales Essential. team, especially on the outside side of things? It, well, how do you think about leveraging it? Because the, and the reason I asked that question is, you know, the sales engagement platforms, they do allow you to do this murder by numbers type of approach very easily. And that's what a lot of sales teams use it for. Mm. <laughs> how can we just take a hundred emails that we would normally send in a week and make it a thousand? You know, and you start yep. to see diminishing returns, you're, you know, makes your company look really bad. And there's a ton of rejection when you do that. How do you, how do you think about the balance, you know, with technology and how to, how your reps utilize it and how your, your team utilizes it? So like one, I think technology is extraordinarily essential. Yep. Essential. Like it, it is not possible to pull off a 40 work week without the assistance of tools. It's just not possible. Um, now that that's said, there, there's, there is a point where you get diminishing return where like you over leverage a technology, right? All the dollars are great, but all dollars taken advantage of can extraordinarily have long-term downstream negative impacts on the entire business. So like, this is where like constantly remember what is the end goal, right? Like, so yes. You can say one year goals are hitting, hitting quarterly quotas, quarterly numbers, annual numbers, long-term goals. We want to be a massively successful business. It does not serve the business any good when we tarnish our brand and we tarnish our reputation. If you've, if you've done sales and I assume all the listeners here have done sales, like as soon as someone doesn't trust the brand, good luck trying to sell to that person. Yep. It is way, it's like, a flick of a finger to tarnish a brand and it will take a lifetime to repair. So don't do that. Right. And that's, that's where you have to draw the line and question, how are you utilizing the tools 
yes, you have to take risks and you have to push, but there's also a point where like it's diminishing return and you know that this is beyond what's healthy for the business. Yeah. Everyone across the team, from myself all the way down to the SDRs, needs to understand that like our goal is to be a massively successful business. Like, if you know, why would we why would we do things that would inherently and we know this piss off piss off our prospects? How does that help us? Doesn't. And if you do that, do you know how much harder it is to win their business later? Impossible, right? It would take so much harder to win their business. This is why, like, instead of just focusing on volume, like I have, I have a philosophy where, like, I really just want to focus on ICP. Conversion ratios is a much better metric for me to like understand and continue to hone in versus like top of funnel. Because this proves and essentially allows me to really focus on like let's just close the business that we know that we can win. Uh, let's close the business that we continue to maintain high morale and keep the brand at its highest levels. And anyone that we feel like comes in that are not ready for the product, be very human. Sell with empathy. If not today, it's okay. Maybe tomorrow. It's fine. If yeah. we really focus on our ICP and being very, very tight there, our conversion ratios will naturally go up. And the opportunities that actually are closed laws and opportunities that we lose because it's, the time is not right are way less. Yeah. Not to mention from a growth standpoint too, the headcount issue. You don't have to keep adding bodies to get more business. You know, That's yeah. where I think a lot of people make mistakes. They accept low conversion rates and they just fix it with headcount, which is again, I think a volume thinking and not quality thinking. It, everything are levers, right? Like I, I imagine every... Uh, every proven sales leader knows that like there's a whole bunch of different levers to push uh, and pull. And if you're trying to drive growth, yes, increasing headcount is a logical step in terms of like, how do we continue to like uh, get compound growth over time? But I think where some leaders fail is like most decisions are coupled with a whole bunch of other decisions at the same time. But like it can't, the better answer is we need to increase headcount so we continue to grow and we need to protect the brand and not like tarnish the, the reputation of the company. So we need to do both. It's not one or the other. Got it. I got one more question for you. If you could go back and give yourself advice the first time that you were starting the company, implementing this four day work week, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question back. Help me focus on that answer uh, or that response. What department or just broadly speaking, do you want it specifically on sales? Oh yeah. Let's, let's talk about, let's just do both if we could, you know, sort of broadly speaking and then definitely sales for sure. Okay. Broadly speaking, I think decisions that I would have done differently. Um, so like, I think I would have hired a, a head of people sooner, right? Like it's one of those decisions where like, if you want to protect this culture and you're in that process of like designing a people first environment, someone to own that responsibility becomes extraordinarily important. Um, as a CEO, like I need to set 
precedence. I need to like make sure that I lead by going in first, but extraordinarily hard for me to own the entire like day-to-day work. So hiring a head of people would have been like something I've done, would have done sooner. From the sales perspective, I think I, I love selling. So like I did the first like 400K in ARR all on my own. Cool. No sales team, just me doing it. Um, yeah. And my, my only advice is like, I held down for too long. Yeah. Like I, I believe I, I could have hired our first reps somewhere around like the 250K mark, 200K mark in ARR. It was enough that I've known, I've already learned that it's like repetitive that could like, I could, I should have hired sooner instead of waiting to like the 400, 450 mark in it, in terms of ARR. Um, I think the team would have grown faster because the team would have started sooner. Um, and so that's one, that's one decision I would have, you know, I would go back and change, just check myself. Like there's a little bit eagle there. I held down for too long. Yeah. I, I think there's some interesting insight into that too, because I find that most people in that situation do the opposite. I think they hand it off too early where they hand off mm-hmm. a broken system yep. to people or they've hired people to figure out the system. <laughs> which is even so worse. I, I, yeah. I don't like that because like as a founder early stage, like no one knows the business better than you. Yep. It's just impossible. Um, and every sales motion, even though there's a lot of playbooks out there and there's a lot of like general philosophies around like typical uh playbooks and typical standards every business is unique and there's always variance to those playbooks from business to business you will never know unless you get your hand your own hands dirty and get into the weeds and do it yourself um so i'm a big component of like not not think like you can just hire the answer out doesn't work that way life doesn't work that way um Hiring too soon when things aren't fully figured out puts a lot of stress on the business. Uh, but equally, and I'm a great example of that case where like you ha- you held on for too long. Um, yeah. Where like the business could have scaled a little bit faster if if I was willing to let it go sooner. Um, yeah. So I imagine that there's, you know, people make mistakes across all, all three of those aspects. I just happen to fall into the later camp where I know I held on for too long. Yeah. Well, this has been great, Robert. Where uh, where can people go if they want to connect with you or learn more about Monograph? Where can they go to go do that? Monograph.com. Uh, it's really easy to get in touch with me. Just email me at robert at monograph.com. Mm-hmm.